If Ken becomes mayor, will he rename Boris Pikes? Answer me this, answer me this. Why is there more kudos to walking if you call it hikes? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. The disappointing thing about this podcast, listeners, that I know right now, even before we've done it, is that it's not the most entertaining thing that Ollie Mann has experienced today. Oh yeah, but that's a tough competition. I have been to the Olympic Aquatic Centre to watch the synchronised swimming qualification rounds. I wouldn't have thought of you before as being particularly into synchronised swimming. Yeah, like me neither. most men yeah. or people. But I totally am now. It's really difficult Bloody as well. Love it. And decorative. And sexist. Uh, it's all Yay! girls. <laughs> sexist sports that favour women. That's yeah. a bit of a turn up. It's basically musical theatre as a sport, which is just about the only sport I'm ever going to be interested in. <laughs> now, I don't understand why this shouldn't be open to men do you think it's because there's such a danger of their cock and balls falling out their trunks <laughs> well no because you'd wear speedos wouldn't you i think generally speaking the tv audience is less interested in seeing a man's hairy legs doing formation spinning around scissor kicks not so nice on a men's leg but that shouldn't be the principal reason why a sport is or isn't recognized by the international olympic committee should it it's the 21st century god damn it did they burn their bras for nothing exactly it's the, it's the next billy elliott film waiting to happen young boy and his brother want to be synchronized swimmers but can't well here's a question about sexism in sport fancy that uh it's from Max in Rotherham, who says, I listen to your podcast whilst running. Very well. Uh, as we have it on good authority, does Graham Linehan. Although when I met him and he told me this fact, which uh, almost made me fall off my chair, <laughs> he said, I'm kind of giving up running now. Oh, that's uh. it. <laughs> so he's probably giving up podcasts too. Max continues, I am an ultra runner. Of course you are. Um, which is better than a normal runner yep. because we run longer distances. Oh, I thought he was going to say he had like Inspector Gadget attachments, which means that <laughs> wheels shot out of his legs. He can transform into a Porsche. Your podcast is ideal yeah. as it is amusing without being laugh out loud funny. Thank God for that. Uh, what wonderful praise. <laughs> which, when you're running, can be disastrous. I often run through the city centre in the morning, which is often busy with commuters and students. It's busy with students in the morning. What is this? <laughs> well, maybe they're coming out of clubs. Now, as a runner of a few years... Wow, he really Max, does do long-distance running. <laughs> <laughs> I have enjoyed having a very pert and muscly bottom. Ooh. And he's put in brackets, glutes. The word glutes. Well, that ruins it, really. It's too medical. It's not sexy, is it, glutes? No, because it sounds like glutinous. That's not a sexy texture. He says his ass looks good in running tights and shorts. The people don't look good in running tights and shorts. So, Helen, answer me this. Do ladies turn to look at men's athletic behinds in much the same way as a male would if a fit female ran past? I cannot speak for women and gay men as a whole. Oh, that's a shame. My opinion is that although women like a nice bottom, they're not as obsessed with them as men are with a lady's bottom and tits as a mm. body part in isolation. Also, having a sweat patch on your bum is an instant turn-off. And pr if they're going to look at you, they're probably going to look at the front to see if you're doing a Linford Christie. Here's a question from Rebecca, who says, I went to the well-known, slightly pretentious Italian restaurant Prezzo is the other day. pretentious? I assumed it was just the same as Pizza Express. No, it's, it's more pretentious than Pizza Express, less pretentious than Zizi. That's where it is in Zizi's the high street. Zizi's not pretentious anymore and its quality has gone way down. Really? Yeah. Gross. No, no, no. I think I went quite... Oh, yeah, but I went to the one that's like under where the mayor of London's office is, so that was probably quite a high-end Zizi. Strada, I'd say. That's a good Oh, maybe it was a, No, it was a Strada. It was yeah, a Strada. They are nice. You're absolutely right. So what's the listener's question? <laughs> <laughs> that's not important right now. Have you been to Papa Joe's? <laughs> what about the new one they've got where the crust is stuffed with a hot dog? What? That's made up. No. 
It happens. It's a new thing. No. It's a thing. Where do they do that? Not in Italy. No. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, anyway, Rebecca says, I went to the contentiously slightly pretentious <laughs> Italian restaurant Prezzo the other day and saw that they have added a, quote, light option to each pasta dish and pizza on their menu. They describe this as being a half portion of the classic dish with the rest of the plate made up with salad. Do they do that, do you think, in the distinguished way that Pizza Express do with their leggera option, which is where they've got... Make a big hole in They've it. got the pizza, which is like a hat brim, yeah. and then the salad, which is in the middle. Like, you know that album cover Kylie Minogue had where she has a hat brim and then her hair is <laughs> yeah. pouring out the top of the crown? <laughs> That's what the leggera is. Yeah, that is, yeah. Well, she says each of these dishes is exactly one pound more expensive than the normal non-light version. Scandal! So, Helen, answer me this. How come you get half the food and a few leaves, but they're charging you one pound more? Well, that's the argument people made when Nouvelle Cuisine was popular, isn't it? Well, sort of. It's tiny. Even my guinea pig couldn't eat off that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But that was in the abstract because you couldn't get an equivalent portion from the same Nouvelle Cuisine restaurant that was one pound cheaper (laughs) and twice the size. I mean, that would be like something Damien Hirst would have done as a stunt. (laughs) (laughs) But they are actually doing this not for art, but for business. How do they get away with it? Maybe that's why Damien Hirst's restaurant pharmacy shut down because it made no business sense. I, I think this is just consumer psychology isn't it you're paying for the healthier option you're paying to feel good about yourself like a sophisticate and so they can get away with it and also pizza and pasta they tend to be pretty cheap to produce because they're based on flour and then a few nice ingredients in small quantity whereas salad maybe that costs more well also it doesn't keep does it yes you've got to get it fresh all right okay we seem to be on pretzo's side on this sorry rebecca but what do they do with all the middles of the pizza yeah Mm. that's uh, well maybe they make kids pizzas out of them or something oh that's a good idea yeah it's a good idea but i bet they don't or for people who want half the salad <laughs> they want With the pizza in the middle. Yeah, they want the heavy option salad. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's for people who don't like the crust because that's that's basically wasted space on the pizza. Yes. Well, that's why you put the hot dog in it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's obvious now. Here's a question now from Paul, who says, whilst in yoga, the yoga teacher mentioned that she thought the word Viagra came from the Sanskrit word Viagra or tiger. She's been spending too much time standing on her head. <laughs> so Helen, answer me this. Is it? No. (laughs) No. And uh, another explanation that is common around the internet is that it's a combination of the words Vigor and Niagara, both of which confer some of the idea of Viagra. Very much. But anyway, uh, it's just because there are quite a lot of hoops you have to jump through when you are naming a new pharmaceutical. Yeah, I bet. One of them is that it's a word that doesn't mean anything in any language. Oh, really? And Viagra is one of them so presumably the Sanskrit that she's talking about maybe it's not pronounced at all like Viagra that's really interesting that you have to pick a word that doesn't mean anything in any language but if by happy coincidence it does sound a bit like tiger in Sanskrit that's fine isn't yeah, it yeah but if it sounded like a worm in Sanskrit <laughs> yeah, then it would ruin so it wouldn't cool. it yeah, yeah 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 what I'm saying is they, the makers may have been aware of this coincidence and you know embraced it they've got money Pfizer they've probably got a little linguistic st- they've probably got Susie Dent from Dictionary Corner on it yeah they could afford whoever they liked imagine yeah. that being able to just pay Susie Dent to do your bidding imagine having Susie Dent in a factory where bonus happen <laughs> <laughs> if you got a question got a question email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com answer me this podcast at googlemail.com it's great it's great All right, time for this question from David from Essex, who says, 
I have a mad, mad crush on a guy at uni who is in the year below me on the same course. Though, in fact, he is only a few months younger than me. You know, when you're our age, that doesn't make a difference. A year, a few months, you're still very close in age. Yeah, nonetheless, yeah, we're, we're glad to hear you're not some kind of crazed cradle snatcher, David. Uh, he is the perfect guy, David continues, and for me at least, the elusive gay man. They seek him here, they seek him there. <laughs> uh, the one you don't know is gay until he tells you he is. The stealth gay. The stealth gay. Uh, I was well ready to ask him out previously, but then he got together with another guy and I started kicking myself for not acting sooner. Oh, but you were well ready. You'd sent him a well ready card and everything. <laughs> um, they looked very much a happy couple. Note, note the past tense, Helen. No need to be upset. They looked... They looked a happy couple. Okay. But recently, they split up. Woo! Yeah. yeah. David on the Keith. And I now think I should make my move. Only. Uh-huh. I'm already kicking myself because I don't have the balls to do it directly. You kicked them out of yourself the first time <laughs> with all the self-kicking. I have had a brilliant idea, though. I'm going to guess that you actually haven't, and that's why you've written to us. I could send... A soberly made drunk text to him. Nope. Revealing my feelings for him. Which is good because I win either way. No, you don't. You lose both the ways. Uh, Either he tells me he doesn't feel the same way and I embarrassingly tell him, I don't remember sending it and then I don't really feel that way. But you know how drink gets to you. Oh, God. So you can look like a pathetic person (laughs) with a drink problem. Or... He says he does feel the same way and I can tell him how relieved I am because I felt dreadful after reading the text the next morning. Oh, you dickhead, though, because then, then he was going to think, oh, he's saying these things, I do feel the same, but he's drunk, he's clearly drunk, so it's not sincere. How upsetting for me. <laughs> so it's a lose-lose either way. This is an awful plan. Why don't you screw the drunken text idea, you will invite him out for drinks. Yeah. Going out for drinks when you're a student, that can be friendly, but yes, you can yeah, also yeah. make a lunch. So, Helen, answer me this, and I think you already have. Should I send a fake drunk text to my mega crush, or should I grow a pair and ask him directly? Yeah, do that, because there's something kind of noble in it. People like to know that they're liked, so even if they don't return your like, it's flattering to know. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, heartbroken, right? Or at least freshly out of a relationship, which means, firstly, he's vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting him on the rebound. Secondly, means that if he doesn't like you, can let you down gently and say, I'm sorry, I'm not ready. He'll also be flattered to have options. Because yes. at that point, very often, you're thinking, oh, do I have any options left? I've yeah. just made a terrible mistake. I, I feel sad, but at least I know I've st- I'm still desirable. I've got a future ahead of me. Yeah, but equally well, you don't want to actually get him if he is really feeling very miserable about it. Yeah, you've got to time it very carefully. So you want him on the cusp of recovery, but not so much that he's going to flounce off with someone else again. Uh, I know it's hard to ask people out, and I would be scared to do it, but the older one gets, the more you think, ah, just do it. At least yeah. then you'll know one way or another. With a drunk text thing, I think it's not going to be as conclusive as you think Well, they get, um, Look, I broadly agree with you. I'm, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate to an extent, but I do think Why sometimes... Why are you always on the side of the devil and not me? Sometimes, when I look back at some of the crushes that I had, I'm actually quite pleased that I never told them. And maybe this is just the fact that we're a bit older now as well. When I look back at crushes that I had when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, mm. the intensity with which I remember them, I actually remember them almost nostalgically. I actually kind of think I'm quite glad I had those yeah. unrequited feelings for someone. And actually, if I'd ever told her, I wouldn't really have wanted to deal with actually even going out with them because it would have ruined that intensity. Oh, come on. That's a kind of Dawson's Creek type coming of age drama. <laughs> Bullshit. I think you probably would have preferred to get your end away at the yes, time. Yes, of course. You would have yes. had plenty of time to have unrequited love feelings to concentrate upon later when writing poetry. Yeah. 
I, I think there's an element of truth there, though. And I, I don't think that any of the girls that I had crushes on when I was young would ever have gone out with me. And that's the danger. I think part of the, the appeal of a crush is it is, it is unrequited. That's yeah. because they were all your friends' mums. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, Helen Ollie, answer me this. Don't ridicule me and don't take the piss. Give me a clue to what I then in your awesome knowledge I'll be basking What's in some bad I'm so alone No one to email No one to email And no one to phone Where can I get new friends from? Answer me this marvellous jingle was sent to us by listener Brett who is the chairman of the Red Rose Chorus in Preston. It's an absolute beaut that jingle. It is lovely listeners when you send us jingles that you've uh, made yourselves uh, and uh, even though we try not to play ones that are based on a copyrighted tune In that case we made an exception because it was so bloody good Yeah exactly and also that tune is from 1954 so they're probably They're not, not listening bother. to podcasts <laughs> No, and they're just, just trying to breathe unassisted. <laughs> but uh, yeah no. If, if I lived anywhere near Preston I would be stalking you Brett like a lunatic <laughs> Hi, Helen Ollie. my name's David and I live in uh, Ilford yay um, I'm watching Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock's rope at the beginning it says colour by Technicolor um, when did people stop putting colour by in the, at the top of films in the credits in fact when did credits stop coming at the beginning because it's really boring I haven't seen rope have you seen rope I have not I have seen it years ago it's moderate to good what about the glorious Technicolor uh, yeah, pretty colourful. The rope comes out particularly brightly. <laughs> uh, the answer to the question, why does it say colour by Technicolor at the start, is that Technicolor's a trademark. Still yeah. is, by the way. The company still exists. Part of the sort of use of Technicolor was that you agreed to say that. It's, it's like with Intel. If your computer's got an Intel chip in it, your ad on telly has to go do 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 do. Or have a little sticker on your computer yeah, somewhere. Exactly. Is that. Technicolor insisted that if you use Technicolor technology, the film had to start by saying colour by Technicolor. Also, at the time, it was probably quite a big selling point, wasn't it? You know, drab, boring, black and white films, or da 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 da, da Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But uh, when Kodak came along doing a version of colour that didn't involve really, really hot lights and three times uh-huh. the amount of film that you need to make a black and white film, people were quite keen to not use Technicolor anymore. And that was kind of the beginning of the end, really. Uh, and the answer to the bit of the question about why don't you see really long opening credits anymore generally unless they're doing something theatrical or sort of paying homage boring. to old films the reason is basically because of TV coming along because um, oh. it used to be the theatrical tradition that you'd have long titles like Hitchcock does because you had to sit through them whereas now you can get up and leave exactly and in fact the audience had already normally by then seen a B-roll film already exactly. so they, you, they'd you already been them. in the cinema for an hour they were in the palm of your hand Yeah, you could show them as many names as you wanted <laughs> whereas uh, when telly came along and TV movies started being made mm. obviously the audience drops off if there's a really long title sequence and, yeah. and, and apart from in certain circumstances like Bond obviously where they make a virtue of it so yeah so the, the tradition became no, get in and out as soon as possible just give us the title and a few captions uh, to the point where I, nowadays if you're doing a big big blockbuster movie I think James Cameron sealed the deal with this with Titanic you just have the name and then get on with it you don't even bother having the pre-story you just go straight to the ship striking the iceberg <laughs> but it annoys me when there's no title at all uh, Batman Begins did that that's to make a point 
because at the end of the film once you've seen the story of Batman he has begun, come, he has begun. so the title there would have had to read Batman is about to begin exactly pre-Batman but, but, <laughs> but I still think it should start with the title Batman begins so you know you're watching Batman begins yeah but rather than having accidentally wandered in to one of the other films yeah and that's just courtesy isn't it the next question is about something which could not happen if we were still operating the old Hitchcock credits arrangement. It's a question from Jess from Kentish Town, who says, I recently found out something that blew my mind. Wow. I was reminded of this when you discussed in a previous episode the surprising fact that cult filmmaker Nicholas Rogue, director, of course, of Don't Look Now. Yeah, oh, directed The Witches. Directed the film of The Witches. Yeah. My game-changing fact is this. Leonard Nimoy directed three men and a baby <laughs> how have i lived 30 years on this earth without knowing this it's not really been that important has it three men and a baby <laughs> not toppermost on anyone's consciousness not even ted danson not even thingamy that was in all those films and then her career tailed off at the end of the 80s nancy travis that's it yeah. ollie answer me this are there any other film and director pairings i should know about well, should is a strong word. Yeah, that would spoil the surprise of getting to the end of shitty dance academy <laughs> film Centre Stage and finding out that Nicholas Heitner directed it somewhere in between Madness of George III and History Boys. See, now, I don't find that surprising, but I haven't seen Centre Stage. It's so cheesy. But it's know. a genre piece, so in that way, is it surprising? I mean, it's... Yes, because it's not a genre that I ever thought anybody who had directed incredible things at the National Theatre would dabble in. Yeah, OK. Like, if he'd done it before <laughs> Madness of King George for money would have understood afterwards inexplicable actors directing is always surprising even if they're doing things that you're not that surprised to see them do mm. like Clint um, Eastwood what's he playing at yeah, yeah. no but kind of, you know when Robert Redford and Clint Eastwood first did start directing yeah. films people were a bit like that yeah well when Ronald Reagan ran for president yes uh, <laughs> any time they want to get another job on the side you hate it Eric Stoltz from yeah. Pulp Fiction he directs a lot of Glee does he? That's a bit of a surprise. Mm. Every time I see his name, I'm like, what, the Eric Stoltz? I've got an uh, incongruous director and film fact Go that on. I think will blow Ollie Mann's mind. The Wiz. Oh, I don't know what about The Wiz. Sidney Lumet. Wow. No. What, directed by? Yes. Oh. Is that the guy that did it in The Heat of the Night? Yeah, and loads of like, sort of like quite mature and sophisticated kind of police conspiracy theories for grown-ups with sex in. You wouldn't expect him to have done an all-black musical. <laughs> Interesting. Jeez. I, I've got one for you. Okay. Jerry Zucker... Yeah. Who of, directed Naked Gun? Yes, and, and Hot the Shots. airplane yeah. type things. Did Ghost? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's the greatest parody of them all. <laughs> the thing is, though, you remember Ghost being a big schmaltzy melodrama, and obviously it is, but it's also got a lot of comedy with Whippy Goldberg, hasn't it? So it's yes. not a complete drama. It's not it? totally straight. It yeah, is yeah. actually quite a Hollywoody film. So it's not that weird, but kind of interesting. I think this is a more famous one. Right. Popeye. Martin Scorsese. Is it Francis Ford Coppola? No, but right kind of ball. Oh. Is, is it Abel Ferrara? <laughs> it is Robert Altman. Yes, Shit. I did know that one. This isn't such a surprise, really, because he's not like a really famous director, but I think the most eclectic director, and it's always a surprise when he directs something because you're like, that's so different to what he's done before. Ang Lee? No, but that is... Cl- you're right, though. Yeah, he bonnet does dramas. Well. Yeah. Superheroes. Yeah. Super- Shit superheroes. Yeah. Ice Storm, Brokeback Mountain. Okay, now actually, Ang Lee is more eclectic. And Michael Lovely Winterbottom eclectic. as well, he's really eclectic. Yeah, he's just deranged. Yeah, but... The one that surprises me because the film that he directed and made his name on was such a staple of teen comedy Mm -hmm. is Chris Weitz, who directed American Pie. And he did other things that are kind of in the American Pie broader bracket. Yeah. Also did About a Boy, which is really quite a different kind of tone. It's still quite shiny and cheesy. Hold on. But this film that came out last year called A Better Life, which is a great film, by the way, you should see it. Mm. It's a drama about the difficulty of being a Mexican immigrant in California. Wow. It is half in Spanish 
and it's really fucking serious. On the flip side, School of Rock. Yeah. Richard Linklater. Yeah. Yeah, that and Before Sunrise are very much companion pieces. <laughs> it's people taken out of their normal existence temporarily. Ernie. Yeah, bro? Ernie, uh, I gotta use the computer now. Okay, bro. Uh, Ernie, you're not moving. Oh, sorry, Bert. I'm just, uh, playing some solitaire here. Oh, it's, it's just that I've, I've got to use, uh, answermethispodcast.com. I've got a question for them. Oh, yeah, Bert? What's that? Uh, is it okay for two platonic friends to share a bed? Sure, Bert. Morecambe and Wise did it. Time for a question from Molly from London now, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why were people traditionally shot at dawn? Oh, this is a lovely, fun question. This is people who are... Naughty. Yeah. Or they are prisoners of war or something. Yeah. Well, I have several theories and I cannot necessarily find out facts to support my theories, but I think my theories are quite sensible. Which is the long title of this podcast. My theories are quite sensible. <laughs> dot com. One is that uh, you don't want to have to keep the person alive for the whole day, feeding them and stuff. Yes. So kind of like checking out of a hotel in a way. We could yeah. have shot them the night before and save yourself some bedding. Yeah, and then you'd make sure that it was clean for the following morning for the next prisoner. But another is that uh, by shooting them at dawn, everyone sees it, because all the military get up at crack of dawn, and it's a warning for them. Yeah. It's the time of day when they're all in the same place to see this thing, and presumably it spooks them for the whole day. Whereas if they do it an hour before bed, you know, it might disturb their sleep a bit, but in the morning they're going to feel a bit refreshed. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you speak to sort of any journalist or listen to any report from uh, someone who's been to where there's been a public execution and they'll say that the mood is eerie for hours afterwards. Yeah, yeah. well, it's it's not a lovely thing, it's I'd not, imagine. I no. hope never to actually witness it myself, yeah. but sounds uh, bad. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's like a propaganda tool, really. Yeah. Other people say it was uh, because at dawn the sun's rays provided you a, a celestial ladder for you to climb into your next realm. But there's also, in most of these regimes, even if someone's been convicted of terrible crimes, um, there's usually some sort of religious understanding of either redemption or um, that the person who's about to be executed might have a chance to consider before yeah. they meet their maker yeah that so naturally them- kind of occurs at night when they're by themselves than during the day when people are visiting them and people are wailing yes. outside in the priest in and out doesn't it and also if the sentence was passed in the evening it left a few hours for a pardon right yeah so i think all pretty good reasons apart from the celestial ladder which is a pretty shit reason here's a horror story from andrew from southampton who says the car park at my work is besieged by crows at the moment okay the right. feathery idiots are attacking everyone's cars during the day trying to pull off the windscreen wiper He's rubber in the Hitchcock film. <laughs> <laughs> and i come out after a hard day's work to find dirty footprints and scratches all over my windows bonnet and wing mirrors well, that's Hedren for you. it's weird isn't it that when it's chimps in a safari park everyone thinks it's hilarious no, it's but terrifying. when it's crows everyone's like oh god they've ruined my windscreen i assumed at first that they were stealing the rubber to build their nests with waterproof nests but i've <laughs> but i've been told by a colleague that the birds actually get high by eating the rubber that's where the phrase stone the crows comes from i would believe that if you, if you hadn't said that in a, such a kind of and you've won a prius way uh, which puts a whole new drug abuse sinister spin on the whole problem mm. some people have been putting plastic bags over their wipers that's just adding a new drug 
isn't it? <laughs> but this just seems to make the crows scrabble and scratch at the paintwork more feverishly to get their fix. So please, Ollie, answer me this. How can I stop them? I well, presume he means how can he stop the crows eating his car rather than how can he stop his colleagues put carrier bags on their cars? Yeah, well, I suppose the answer shoot them would apply to either of those. <laughs> uh, but in either case, I don't suppose that's what he's after. He's probably after a kind of responsible RSPB type answer to the problem. Mm. Could he put a, a blanket over his car one of the suggestions that i've seen on the internet for this because actually it is a common problem all is over the it? world that crows eat rubber windscreens I yeah no idea is put a balloon on your windscreen oh what so distract them with other examples of the drug no that the, 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 they'll pop the balloon get scared fly off not come back yeah but that only works once 15 minutes later another crow can come up yep. start eating the popped I balloon i don't think that's a good idea so i looked further i dove deeper uh, and I found uh, this answer, which is from a spokesman from the RSPB. Uh, and they said that uh, motorists would be best advised to coat their wipers with aluminium ammonium sulphate. Where do you get that? Mm. It is actually just the standard thing you put down to scare off foxes. or It's basically an unpleasant smell that animals don't like. Does it kill them? It doesn't kill them, okay. which is why the RSPB recommended it. Does it smear shit all over your windscreen when you put your wipers well, on that are covered in it? This is what I'm kind of thinking. I mean, it's all very well for Mr. Twitcher to say, <laughs> don't kill the precious birds who like your rubber but yeah what's it going to do to your windscreen don't know mm. oh hey ollie thanks for picking me up oh what does it cost one of ammonium and dead bodies <laughs> but i would just use barrier protection rather than spermicides i would just put a big blanket over the car and yeah but then your blanket's going to smell of crow shit yeah but then you can take it off whereas your car's going to smell of crow shit if you've got the aluminium stuff on it that means the crows sit on the car they just don't eat anything so and they still cheap, scratch a it cheap up blanket yeah, yeah. cheap gray scratchy blanket Steal a few blankets off a plane, stitch them together into a car cosy. <laughs> You're going to end up with a homeless person sleeping on your car, yeah. which is a much worse problem than crows. Or just uh, make someone else's car tastier than yours and the crows will flock to that one. Well, how would you do that? Just accessorise it with sort of fetish levels of rubber? I don't know how these criminals think. <laughs> Here's a question from Rose from Melbourne, Australia, who says, I am very fortunate to have a job that requires me to travel regularly to the UK. Not that fortunate from Australia, is it? No, no, That's no, a minimum great. 24 hours each way on a plane. Ah. Enjoy the jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> and over the years, I've become good friends with some of my English colleagues. Wow, you've managed to penetrate our national reserve. In a few years, they'll start speaking to you. Many of them <laughs> seem to be of the age where they seem to need to move from London to the country. Oh, God. According to my girlfriend, I am now of that age. Uh, I have been lucky enough to be invited to their new homes. Bit of a hassle, isn't it, though? When I arrive, the lady of the house usually takes me into the kitchen, which they invariably refer to as the hub of the home, and show me a bloody great arger. Now, I can understand why argers would not be a very popular thing in the warm country Australia. Helen, answer me this. Why do they do this? What is so special about an oven? <laughs> it's like they're showing off an expensive car or lottery win. Well, they are. I mean, Argus started about three grand. And also, it's showing off because it's saying, firstly, your house is solid enough to bear the weight of an Arga. And secondly, <laughs> you can afford 
a three thousand plus pound cooking device in a pastel colour mm. rather than something that looks functional and it's does also, different temperatures when you want them. It is a real class thing as well, though, isn't yeah. it? It is a sort of Delia watching, Waitrose shopping, very upper middle thing. class. Yeah. Well, yes. Whereas, like you know, if someone working class won the lottery and could afford ten argus, they probably wouldn't. They're not very practical. No. I mean, they're homely. They're lovely items. They look beautiful. They keep your kitchen lovely and warm. But they're not actually very good for cooking things, are they? No. Well, don't you have to like heat them up for hours before or something? Well, the, the, no, the point of an agar is they're on all the time and because they've got such thick walls, it means that they maintain temperature. And when the agar was invented in uh, 1929 by a Swedish Nobel Prize winning scientist... Of course. Oh, who's uh, that? Who was that? Niels Gustav Dahlen, who invented Ooh. automated lighthouses. And in the same year he won the Nobel <laughs> Prize, he went blind after an oxyacetylene explosion. Oh, jeez. So he was at home because he couldn't go off doing his Nobel Prize winning science anymore. He was blind. Yeah. He's like, my wife spends a lot of time having to fiddle with the stove. Yeah. And cook on different bits of fire. Oh, God, Let's she must have thought, one. what a nightmare having him around the house. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So, anyway, he invented the agar, which I'd imagine in Sweden, having an appliance that heated your house was yes. quite useful. It's chilly. Well, it's a sauna for food, isn't it? And they became massively popular in uh, Britain in the 30s. They actually targeted them at, uh, like, the establishment like royals and stuff because people's households they didn't have a, a big staff anymore mm. so you didn't have servants to keep your fires stoked all the time possibly even people had to cook themselves outrageous I know I'm so glad I didn't live in the 30s and then when the war came they actually made a point of giving them to um, hospitals and um, munitions factories because they were very fuel efficient for the time obviously they're not now apparently they use the same amount of fuel in a week as a normal oven uses in nine months okay all this is very interesting from the historical perspective of how an aga came to be well you were saying they they seem to be an upper class symbol and they are right. they always were but the royals had them to return to rose's question yeah what's so special to english women about argus now they want to show you that they've got a certain lifestyle yeah it's saying this is my life i bought an mm. argus which means i'm staying here for six decades yes it's also saying i guess that i've grown up i think it is the most maternal status symbol you can put your baby in it and bake it for nine months <laughs> you have to choose the correct oven though otherwise it might grow too big all of which brings us to an end of this superb episode of answer me this i'm saying superb i don't know i haven't listened back to it yet but i'm trying to implant positive suggestions i think it was at least six out of ten you yeah. enjoyed yourselves a lot listeners in the past <laughs> half hour well, you're feeling strangely aroused and you want to tell all your friends about it when you hear the end theme tune you won't remember what preceded it all you'll remember is a feeling of a good time but you will want to send us a question which you can do via skype email or phone and all the details are on our website answer me this podcast.com and you know what else you can find on that website you can find links to our jubilee album of yes all new material one hour of all new exclusive material and there are also links to our apps facebook Twitter. Those things. Google not, Groups. Not Google Plus, though. We haven't really indulged in that yet. We were on Google Plus, but it's like 10 people. Hey, guys, do you want to have a hangout? No. <laughs> no. Of course I don't. I've got Pinterest to look at. <laughs> so we'll be looking at Pinterest, except we won't. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. Good. Bye. Bye.